Welcome to the Xbox Wrap-Up Podcast. I'm your host, or Captain Logan, or just Logan, depending on how you want to call me. And this week, we have got some interesting news. It's been an interesting week in gaming, and while there isn't anything that is just, like, blowing my mind as far as, like, stuff coming out, there's a lot of little things that I think I want to talk about just because I think they're going to be a little more personal for me this time. So we're going to be covering the news uh, as it pertains to Logan. And uh, this week, we have some interesting news coming out to you. We have finally some more depth about uh, season two for Halo. Enemy Amy Hennig is going to be starting up a new Star Wars game, something I was not expecting. Xenoblade Chronicles is coming out sooner rather than later. And Sega decided to drop a whole bunch of news for Sonic, for Jet Set Radio and Crazy Taxi. There's also some interesting news going on about whether or not Sony and Microsoft are going to start developing ad programs for free to play games. Uh, Sea of Thieves has got their newest adventure, which I got to really enjoy. Uh, there's some World of Warcraft expansion news that I want to talk about. And sure enough, yeah, Call of Duty is definitely getting Godzilla versus King Kong in Warzone somehow. I don't understand how that's even a thing we've also got a little bit of news about outriders and destiny is some deals i found so uh sit back relax this week of xbox gaming news and gaming news just in general is coming right at you it's friday sit back relax i've got all the stories for you and we'll get into them right now Let's start with the uh, biggest, most impactful one that I think really kind of deals with gaming in general, and that's uh, Microsoft and Sony looking to make ad programs for their games. Now, this is kind of a, a big red flag because it's not necessarily what you may think think it is i think that there's a lot of reputation at stake for these uh consoles and i think whoever starts doing this uh is going to really really kind of set the tone for the way the industry moves in a positive and negative way uh, i've seen a bunch of studios out there kind of looking to get feedback on this but let's head over to cnet right now and uh, get oscar gonzalez's take on this uh he wrote a nice article here that basically says sony is reportedly developing its own program to play ads into PlayStation games, according to a report from Business Insider. Now, I would have pulled this from Business Insider, but Business Insider actually charges for their content, uh, where this is a free podcast, so <laughs> I can't afford to be paying for Business Insider news. So let's thank, uh, let's thank CNET for footing the bill for this. Uh, a news of a similar plan from Microsoft uh, for Xbox games came to light last week, something I didn't really cover because I didn't know how big it was going to be. The ad program would allow developers to of free-to-play games to include ads within the game itself advertisements would be placed in spots such as billboards and would help monetize the game in order to entice more developers to make free-to-play games these ads would be sold via a marketplace and could offer in-game rewards for players who decide to view them sony didn't immediately respond to a request for comment uh let's take a look at cnet's article uh, also from oscar gonzalez uh talking about microsoft's plan microsoft Microsoft plans on selling ads in its Xbox games, according to a report. Thanks again to Business Insider. Uh, the game, the Xbox Makers uh, program, will uh, reportedly allow developers to sell ads to free-to-play games. In-game advertisements are currently limited, as developers have to incorporate them while developing the game, or as in-game content released after a game's launch. Microsoft's program would allow game makers to des 
designate certain spots in games where ads can be played, such as on billboards and in racing games. Very, very cut and paste uh, for Sony and Microsoft. What does this mean for gaming in general? Well, currently, free-to-play games are monetized uh, through their, their seasonal passes, through their content updates. And being able to have something where your game uh, really hits it right out of the park from the get-go is extremely rare. You've got Fortnite, you've got Apex Legends, uh, but Fortnite was a, a one-off. That was a very rare circumstance. Um, Apex came from Respawn, which is a known developer published by EA. Uh, so when you start to see some of these big free-to-play games, you start to wonder, well, how are they competing? How are they dealing with this? And a lot of it comes down to lightning in a bottle. So being able to uh, say that that uh, developers want to be able to do this is really tough because there's no guarantee of cash. No one's going to promise them a certain amount of money for a free-to-play game, but a free-to-play game also offers the, uh, the, the low barrier of entry. Look at games like uh, Genshin Impact. A lot of the money that they make from that comes from microtransactions in their store for uh, gotcha mechanics to get better uh, characters at a higher quality. Same thing with Lost Ark. A lot of Lost Ark uh, monetization comes in from the store and being able to purchase things that actually progress you in power. So in, unless you're selling power, which for most of the European and American audiences, uh, they don't they don't they tend to look down on those kind of practices. Um, is funny enough a lot of people actually will would rather look at ads and uh and, and actually uh get free content than they would to actually pay for the content um and actually remove the ads from that uh case in point i am paying for two different google accounts to have youtube premium um, because I'm tired of the ads that YouTube puts in there. Uh, the, the, the ads are just so bad at this point that it, it's intrusive and it actually wastes more of my time. And that time would be better spent uh, making content or uh, doing research and not having to worry about uh, skipping ads every time because some of those ads are starting to get into like the 15, 30 minute range. And if you click play and you don't pay attention and you don't skip the ad then you could go through like five minutes worth of an ad before uh noticing that you you haven't actually been watching the video that you've wanted to watch um the way they're going about it with games though seems like it is less intrusive uh it won't be until they get to the point where you have to watch this ad to continue playing the game similar to how a lot of uh, mobile games tend to implement their ads where they'll have a splash screen that is actually an advertisement it may even be an advertisement for a different game, but they'll put that in between levels uh, to force you to watch those advertising. Uh, podcasts suffer from the same thing. Uh, podcasts cost money to make. And unless there's a patron system, uh, there's not really a whole lot of ways for you to monetize off of your podcast. Now, uh, iTunes themselves are actually opening up subscriptions to be able to offer uh, a paid way to get content. But that's really tough given just how many podcasts are out there and available so ads tend to be the recourse for a lot of podcasters to be able to do that now that's something where they can decide how egregious they want to be they could have ads at the beginning and at the end and some in the middle they could be pre-made ads or organic ads where they're read uh, the way xbox and microsoft are, are representing this uh, in-game ad system for them uh, for developers to be able to implement into their games sounds a lot more like an organic ad something that is catered to the player and displayed in ways that are more natural than just 
let me put up a giant splash screen uh, while the game is loading to advertise uh, Axe Body Spray, as opposed to having something like in the past, uh, they've had, um, I'm trying to think, NVIDIA uh, GeForce billboards in certain games that they've published uh, to be able to, to show off like different features and things like that. So, uh, or different content or, or um, products that they're selling. So it's, it's definitely something where this is a dangerous, it's a slippery slope. It's a dangerous uh, path to take. And I want them to be very cautious about that because I do agree for the sentimentality behind wanting to make a game and offering that content at the lowest barrier to entry, which is free to play. But you can't make a free to play game and not eventually try to make money off of it unless you're just doing it for fun at which point it's more of a hobby than a profession and it's hard to live off of hobbies hello there general kenobi the next story I wanted to dive into deals with Amy Hennig and cry, trying to make another Star Wars game. Um, Amy Hennig is a very interesting character because I, I don't know a whole lot about her. Um, I know that she's kind of held up as this luminary in the games industry who's uh, worked on some very, very amazing games in the past and has had a really tough time uh, trying to actually get games made. Um, she's been uh, with EA. She's been with... Uh, oh gosh, Google Stadia. Uh, and every time that she's tried to kick up a project, it gets pulled out from underneath of her um, midway through production. So I wanted to read from this article. This is actually coming to us from PC Gamer. Uh, thanks to Andy uh, Chalk. I believe is how he pronounces it, but the article states, uh, Amy Hennig is back on the Star Wars beat. Hennig, whose Star Wars project, a EA's Visceral Studios, a narrative-focused single-player action-adventure game codenamed Ragtag, was canceled in 2017, is heading up a new Star Wars collaboration between Skydance New Media and Lucasfilm Games. Uh, Skydance New Media, by the way, is her, her new studio, uh, who I believe she actually has a connection with uh sony entertainment i believe sony actually made a partnership with them let me see if i can find this out real quick because i'm i'm pretty sure that they uh had recently announced their partnership with them um but let's take a quick look let's see uh, we're joining forces with the best ip partners in the world to create story-driven action adventure experiences with a focus on mystery uh exploration discovery and adrenaline pumping spectacular uh, spectacular um so it looks like that that was their uh announcement to make uh, a new Marvel game as well as uh, a new Star Wars game. So it looks like they've been been going at this for a while. There's not really any information that I can find off the top of a search that actually speaks to uh, the partnership with Sony. So that might have been a different company, actually, now that I think about it. So we'll, we'll kind of hold off on that. But Amy Hennig, um, I'm glad that she's, it seems like she's jumping into this and she's going to try and make the game that she wants to make. Uh, having action adventure games is uh, really amazing. I love narrative uh, driven action adventure games um, like Uncharted 2 and stuff. They're a lot of fun and getting to do those in a, in a good Star Wars game is few and far between. I think uh, Fallen Order is my favorite so far of all the ones that i've played and i mean i've I'm, we're going all the way back to like star wars um oh gosh what was the 64 one with dash rendar i'm blanking on the name of that but you know i i, I love star wars games and I, i'm more than happy to get more of those in and if amy hennig wants to take the reins and and uh bring out whatever ragtag might have been or something close to it i'm here for that because i'm glad that they're working with lucas films uh games they've been lucas 
Home Schemes has been pumping out uh, contracts for different companies to be able to make a ton of new content. We're getting a new, um, we're getting a, a new Indiana Jones game. We're getting the Avatar game, uh, a whole bunch of stuff coming out from Disney that they're just trying to capitalize on their IP. And I'm fine with that because I enjoy the heck out of their, their IP as it is and trying to say that, that um, you know, they shouldn't be doing this or, or you know, they should... Uh, be more cautious or, or uh, careful with their IPs. It's like, no, we've, we've already seen bad IP games. Like we lived through the 90s and the early 2000s with uh, games that were made for movies coming out and stuff. You know, you've, you've played a, a bad X-Men game in the past. Um, so I'm here for, for these guys making something, especially if it's a narrative-driven action-adventure game. It just sounds amazing. So I, I wish the best of luck to Amy Hennig. I hope that she actually gets to finish her project. Uh, the announcement says that the new project Project is a narrative-driven action-adventure game featuring an original story in the Star Wars galaxy, which, to be fair, sounds a lot like Ragtag, uh, as it was originally envisioned. Hennig described Visceral's uh, Star Wars project in 2016 as an original Star Wars story with the new characters, locations, texts, and creatures developed with an approach similar to the, that, the one that was used during Uncharted, the PlayStation series she helmed at developer uh, Naughty Dog up until her departure of 2014. I'm really glad that uh, I got to play some of those games because holy cow, those games are amazing too. Um, so she's got the chops. She just hasn't had the luck. And it, it kind of goes back to the idea that making games is it's almost as hard if not harder than trying to make movies because you're dealing with millions of dollars worth of work. Uh, years and years of investment and the payoff doesn't always work out if you don't blame me look at cyberpunk 2077 so even if you do get a game made there's not always the promise of it turning out well especially when reviewers have seen just about everything and it, they get to a point where it's it's almost impossible to impress them and they have to be cautiously optimistic about everything because anything they put their time into is going to take away time from something else, given how quickly many, many games are coming out nowadays. So I hope that whatever she comes up with, it just really doesn't fall victim to the expectation of her finishing a game first off, and two, anything that represented uh, what, what was to be with uh, the ragtag game. All right. Well, I said I was going to do this episode a little more selfish uh, for, for my own content. And I think because of that, it's time to dive into uh, what I missed because of World of Warcraft. But it's not actually what I missed because it hasn't come out yet. Uh, in gaming news, it's hard to really focus on just consoles. I've been a PC gamer for most of my life. Um, I've been a console gamer much longer uh, but there was definitely a, a stretch of time there where I was predominantly on PC, um, especially because of World of Warcraft. And it's fitting that we talk about this because I it's hard for me to let go of WoW. Um, everything with Blizzard aside, um, I'm glad that the that the buyout's coming out because I think that they've done a really good job of, of trying to clean up the, the company. Um, I think there's still a lot of work to, to be done. 
but I, I feel better about uh, where the company's going and what I've been hearing from people within the company as well, too. So uh, that being said, let's talk about World of Warcraft. This is a PC game. If you're not familiar, I don't know how, because it's basically the biggest MMO uh, that, that's ever been around um, with maybe Final Fantasy uh, 14 uh, uh, on equal structure right now. And New World's coming out, Ashes of, uh, Ashes of Alar, I think is what it is is or ashes of creation i can't remember what the new one is but there's a new one coming out that looks amazing too i've always been a big fan of mmos um i don't play a whole lot of them but the ones that i do play i've really enjoyed but it's always been something where world of warcraft has been close to uh my love of just how that world is that that style the design um it's what i it's what got me into uh kind of fantasy into it to begin with so World of Warcraft revealed their newest expansion uh, called Dragonflight. Um, they are now going to the Dragon Isles, which in lore is a world where the dragons all kind of grew up. Uh, and they're bringing out some interesting things. So some of the big features about this is the the new Dragon Isles uh, is a new island with uh, four different, five different zones. I think five different zones and a new level cap up to 70. There's a new playable race uh, slash class combo where you can actually uh, play as a Drakthir, which is a, a humanoid dragon called uh, with the class of it being an evoker uh, and the evoker is a new type of magic wielder they'll be able to be uh, two types of, of classes you can either heal or you can damage uh, but the damage is going to be something where you're going to be essentially kind of like a dragon uh, you've got this uh, flame buffet you've got a wing buffet you've got charging spells now very interesting uh they're also finally bringing flying to the beginning of the game uh in the new zone from from the get-go so at 60 you'll be able to get dragon flight uh dragon flight introduces dragon riding which honestly it's something that a lot of people have noticed was uh heavily pulled from guild wars 2 which i haven't played in a long time but guild wars 2 is said to have some of the best uh feeling mounts and best mounts in mmos so the fact that they're they're taking from that and putting it into this game just speaks to how they are going outside of their own uh wheelhouse to to really kind of say like okay what is it that everyone likes about all the mmos and how can we bring that to the game uh or world of war Warcraft to at least make it happier for the people that are playing it right now. Uh, so dragon riding feels a lot like what you would expect if they made a how to train your dragon uh, video game where it was mostly you flying around on a dragon and being able to uh, do a barrel roll, um, do a dive bomb and and use the momentum, use the gravity to actually get you around in the world. And you're gonna be able to level up your dragon. You're gonna be able to uh, customize your dragon so that you can get to higher, more dangerous places uh, as you kind of go throughout the, the world. But it's just kind of nice that they're that they're really taking a hard look at flight. They're listening to the audience or their their customer base uh, when it comes to them uh, complaining about not being able to have flying right off the bat. Flying has always been gated till late, late, late in the expansion because they always wanted people to run around and experience the world. Well, how about you just build the world with the intent of having flying from the get-go and you don't have to worry about them experiencing the world because then they'll be experiencing it the way it was designed with flying. So they're also going to be doing 
an entire talent system revamp um fans of the game all the way up until uh i guess it would be miss of pandaria will be familiar with the talent tree system uh they are going to a new version of the talent tree system in uh dragon flight that is very much like the original tr talent trees uh, of old but instead of it just being three different specs that you give points to to get different spells and uh, class abilities you will now have a, uh, a a class ability and a specialization ability or a role ability so you'll be able to get stuff that unlocks different spells and abilities for your class say if you were a druid you get bear uh, cat or moonkin and tree uh, and you can mix and match your points to kind of build these interesting new hybrid builds but then you also have a separate tree that can focus in purely on like restoration or balance or feral and actually be able to kind of customize like what you want to do in those things. One of the biggest things that I like about this is that there's no there's no cost involved with being able to respec your your class or your uh, your character at any time. You can freely play around with the talents and see if there's something that works out really best for your playstyle. Then you can go ahead and actually save that to a loadout so that if you want to swap between doing PvP content or PvE content, all of those features are now saved within loadouts and your talent trees are saved in loadouts. So you can actually change those. And when you actually go into the new UI system, they've updated the UI and refreshed it to make it a lot more based like the, uh, the, the add-ons that are available. Add-ons are still going to be made available for everyone, but they're going to be updating the new interface interface uh, to make it a lot more uh, fresh, clean, uh, make it feel a lot more uh, impactful compared to a lot of MMOs out in the world that are constantly updating their UI and making it look like something that people would like to interact with. Uh, no news on whether or not World of Warcraft is going to be made uh, available for console. Um, this is something that was strictly designed around the idea of being on PC. So for fans of uh, Blizzard games or fans of WoW who've been hoping that the Microsoft purchase will then bring uh, World of Warcraft to Xbox, I wouldn't hold my breath on that. I don't imagine that being something that's actually going to come to the game. Uh, looking at the world and looking at the characters, I'm invigorated with the passion that i have for uh wow as a as a franchise uh, i have always always loved this world it's one of my favorites right up there with harry potter and star wars uh with star trek and uh, jurassic park there's always going to be downs in the in those franchises I'll look at the Fantastic Beasts. I'll look at Jurassic Worlds or Jurassic Park Three. Uh, I'll look at uh, Star Wars with you know the prequels for me uh, and the later uh, movies towards the end. Or, or you know, there's there's always going to be um, introductions or not introductions. There's always going to be installments within these franchises that don't always hit for everyone. And seeing something like this come back, uh, it looks like. Uh, the the developers over at Blizzard who are, are working on World of Warcraft retail have finally started to listen hard to the player base. The player base has been fed up with the way their game has been running for the last probably four years and they've been very vocal about it but blizzard has always taken the stage of we're going to make the game that we think you want instead of listening to the community and saying okay this is what you want 
we're going to make it for you. And now it feels like they're finally going to be doing that. And they're getting back to their roots with dragons, which I think has always been a big part of the World of Warcraft fantasy. Uh, so often they take us to weird places like out in space in different planets. And it's like, mm, this is the world of Warcraft. How about we focus on the actual world where Warcraft is, is staged and actually take care of, you know, introduce a story there uh, instead of trying to find it in other places. So coming alongside this news was one of the biggest things for me, which was uh, Wrath of the Lich King Classic. This announcement is amazing. I my high point in in Warcraft was Wrath of the Lich King. It was heralded as one of the best uh one of the best expansions of the entire series in the last like 16 years, 17 years I think at this point. And it's uh it's insane that they're that they're finally doing Wrath of the Lich King Classic and that Wrath of the Lich King Classic is actually coming out in 2022, probably towards the later half cuz we're still on Black Temple for uh the Burning Crusade. I loved Wrath of the Lich King. Arthas is one of the best villains in video games, period. I don't care who you are. If you know the story of Arthas, if you followed the story of Arthas ever since like 2000, uh, then you you would probably agree that he is up there as far as like Darth Vader uh, when it comes to villains. And you have to respect that. You really, really can't. I, there's, some, there's some villains like Sephiroth, I can say totally. Yeah, Bowser, totally. Well, Bowser is not even really, a, I wouldn't even really classify him as a villain he's iconic but i wouldn't say that he's like a hate person uh kind of like someone that you just loathe intently uh sephiroth um i would say arthas it's it's hard for me to pick out other ones that i can think of off the top of my head where i'm just like yeah that is a villain that i love to hate um voldemort is one of those characters uh, or Bellatrix Lestrange. So uh, when it comes to classic version of Wrath of the Lich King, I'm looking forward to this because that was where I was raiding hardcore. I was like top of the top of the server, um, one of two death knights in Olduman uh, or Olduar who was uh, just raiding, you know, three or four nights a week. I was grinding out all the stuff that I needed for it. I was in a top guild, you know, I was like paying attention to my parses. Uh, all that kind of stuff was all, all stuff that I was focused on. And then I, I hit the wall hard. And when Cataclysm came out, I was like, man, this is weird. I don't really like the path that they're going. It seems like it's not quite as cool as I was hoping. Uh, and they totally changed up the world. And you know how people are when it comes to change. They don't really like it. Uh, so I dropped it shortly after probably the second raid came out. A Firelands came out. I was like, nope, I'm done. I'm, I'm over this. I can't do this anymore. And I quit for a while. I missed out on Mr. Pandaria and I missed out on most of uh gosh what was the other one warlords of draenor and because of that when i came back in warlords of draenor i was greeted with a very weird version of war warcraft a version that i was never familiar with and i was told that i missed out on uh missa pandaria which i was not excited about at all uh, but ended up being a pretty good expansion a lot of people really enjoyed the that world and those raids uh, so i missed out on that and i had to go back and play through it later um, to try and catch up with some of the story, which is still kind of elusive because as a live service, you miss out on content, you're going to miss out on a lot of context. Uh, so I'm excited for Wrath of Lich King Classic. Uh, I It's something that I want to go back to. I loved, I loved Death Knight to get to, from the start. The old Death Knight was probably my favorite and, and I definitely loved 
uh, playing as as an unholy death knight, especially back when you could actually be a tank as unholy, where you couldn't do that after a while. Eventually, they just made uh, blood knights the 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 DP or the tank spec, and they made unholy and they made uh, frost the two main DPS specs. And I hated that because I loved being unholy and I loved tanking as unholy and using death and decay to pull and just oh yeah, it was great. I I absolutely loved that. And I'm going I'm waxing poetic about it because it was a big part of my life uh but i'm glad that it's coming back i will be dipping back into that to see what it's like um because i think there's something to be said about uh the most popular world of warcraft expansion uh having a resurgence gosh probably maybe 20 uh no 10 2018 or no 2008 is when it came out it's 2022 so what is that 12 years 12 years old expansion holy cow man time passes uh that's it as far as your world of warcraft news um it's not often that i get to to talk about world of warcraft but when it happens it's time to talk about it so <laughs> let's move on you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship sir finishing this fight now that we've talked about halo uh, or excuse me world of warcraft it's time to get into halo we got a really nice uh, news article that came out from the Halo Waypoint uh, website uh, that talks about Season 2 and actually gives us a uh, preview of the different modes that are going to be coming in Season 2. Remember, me, Season 2 is actually kicking up in May, uh, even though that uh, what was co-op was delayed, unfortunately, and I think they're still working on Forge. So uh, there's going to be some interesting modes coming um one of them is king of the hill now you may be thinking oh okay well king of the hill i'm familiar with that it's not the same king of the hill and i'll, I'll talk a little bit about uh what's going to be changing with king of the hill uh, but we're also getting land grab which is uh an interesting one that I, I tried out back in the beta i thought it was i thought it was good i enjoyed it um but it, it's it's definitely it's it's kind of just like uh hold the point or uh point control i think in destiny 2 um so much parity between the two they've they've really kind of kept a lot of the dna uh with the two different games um even though they're made by different studios nowadays and then the last one is called last spartan standing and that's one that i want to talk a little bit more into because it is effectively going to be halo infinite's battle royale so let's kick things off with King of the Hill. Uh, King of the Hill is going to have its classic mode available in Halo Infinite if that's what you want for custom games. But the main mode that is going to be made available through matchmaking is going to be different compared to your standard one. And they listed some of the things that they noticed about the original King of the Hill that they wanted to point out that were pain points. So here's what we found out. Uh, the hill moving on a strict timer clashes with opportunism. Uh, it's really annoying to finally usurp the controlling team only to have the hill disappear and bank just a few points. The instantaneous nature of flipping ownership spikes pace perception. Players would say the, the feel or the mode feels frenetic uh, to a fault and strains the legibil legibility of messaging and feedback systems uh, and then end match resolution is too often too flat the match timer clashes with the hill timer in a way that can mathematically ice the match conversely even some tight matches end with a team touching the new hill for just a few seconds under delivering on the hype built up by a hotly contested match 
So those were things that when they went through testing, uh, they basically found out not, not only through internal testing, but external testing uh, were some of the biggest issues that they had with the traditional King of the Hill mode, something I used to watch a lot of back in Halo 2 during uh, a lot of the MLG Pro days. So the new, the new King of the Hill mode is going to have some new changes. So let's, let's kind of work down the list here. Each hill now has a control meter. Teams fill their control meter when occupying the hill uncontested. Contesting the hill will actually pause the control progress. When a team fills their control meter, they'll add one point. Hills have a very quick capture time uh, that can be paused by contesting. Hills quickly decay over ownership back to neutral when unoccupied. Hills will move only when a team has filled their control meter, quote unquote, winning that hill. Quick play, the first hill is always consistent, uh, but all hills thereafter are randomized. Ranked, the entire hill sequence is consistent every match, and then matches utilize the objective clock mechanic like oddball, the match timer only depletes when the hill is unoccupied. Uh, this is designed to try and make it so that you have to be in a point, you have to keep the point, and you cannot have the point contested to be able to win the point helps out uh, with good defense but a lot of it's going to come down to map uh, knowledge as well as well too um, in in planning your times a lot of this is kind of similar to what it's like with overwatch when you're pushing an objective you want to time up your uh your ultimates at the same time you want to coordinate it if one person dies you generally all die at the same time or you all hold off and try not to stagger those deaths because once you start getting into staggering deaths that's when you can uh, start taking on fights that are uh, uh, not paired up with the same amount of players on both sides and you can really kind of turn into a lopsided fight let's talk a little bit about um land grab this is going to be the mode where uh this is one where where they wanted to explore a multi-zone objective uh, that works well on mirrored symmetrical maps um, this this one is is interesting here because uh, as they kind of talk a little bit about it, it sounds like you've got multiple sections or multiple parts of the map where you just have to kind of uh, gain control of the majority of them to start earning points, uh, and then you can kind of push out to other areas if if they start pressuring one point too much. Uh, but the majority wins here is you kind of earn points as you go along. Um, the last mode that uh, we we wanted to talk about is the free for all. Uh, that is is last Spartan standing and this one is the one that kind of ties into the quote-unquote lone wolf theme that is coming with season two so let's re read a little bit about the uh, the art from the the actual blog post here uh, I hear some exciting new quirks to last Spartan standing that we've not really had in a halo game mode before they go on to talk about it all started by initially playing free-for-all attrition on breaker no other notes uh, or changes Let's just see what shakes out and talk about it. It was immediately obvious that a type, uh, a typical scavenging story wasn't going to work. Uh, free for all modes have a way of really straining combat outcome perceptions. Players often describe it as uh, third partying uh, one another and would consistently dislike this, that scavenging more power for the level amplified uh or am, yeah amplified third partying um what they mean by third partying if you if you're not familiar with battle royales 
when you start playing through a battle royale, uh, you can hear the gunfire that's going on around the map that's near you. Uh, if you hear two teams that are fighting it out, uh, then you generally want to jump in as the third party. And when it comes to being the third party, you're generally going in to try and clean up between the first two fights. So generally, whenever there's two teams, uh, they will fight it out. There's always going to be a victor and there's always going to be uh, some downtime where they're uh, either low on ammo or they don't have grenades or they don't have uh, health rebuff or health buffs. Um, and you want to pressure that you want to take advantage advantage of that situation. So coming in as the third party or dealing with a situation where you are fighting a team and a third party comes in and actually starts putting pressure on you really kind of help uh, really kind of determines the outcome of a game, uh, which is why you generally don't ever have have too many uh, a third partying towards the end of the match because it really comes down to one team who's scavenged enough power to be able to outlast most other teams uh, and really kind of help pick off people or, or take advantage of situations. And then it comes down to like skills and cooldowns and time as well as the zone moving about. So what they're trying to avoid with this is uh, by adding the last Spartan mode, um, they want to try and do something that's a little bit different from that. So um, let me see if I can find out where they're actually listing off the different features of uh, Last Stand because that's that's the part that I think I actually found interesting. So uh, this is going to be a free-for-all experience. There's going to be 12 players that spawn on big team battle maps with a confined loadout and five respawns. Uh, once a player runs out of respawns and can no longer uh, participate, they can either spectate or they can leave the match without penalty. If a player gets a kill in a match, they can upgrade to a different weapon, Some something players of Escalation Slayer will no doubt be familiar with. The match will end when there's just one Spartan left standing. So I kind of like this because uh, it, it does kind of mean that if you die, then you're not out of it completely. Uh, there's no way to really have like a team so there's not really any third partying that comes from uh, this as a result. And it's all just a big free for all. If you die, you come back for five times. If you get a kill, then you can get a little bit better weapon and you have another opportunity to play your next life uh, with a little bit of boost. Um, so here's hoping that, you know, you can get a kill, you can get a better weapon. And if you die, you can at least come back and, and try and do better the next time, knowing that you've only got a few more lives and you really do have to get those kills. Uh, to try and get the better weapon. I don't know how the meta is going to work out as far as like what's going to be considered uh, the best weapons, especially given how comfortable people are with the BR and how a lot of people will probably start picking up like a BR as soon as possible and then a power weapon afterwards. Um, there's no word yet on whether or not they'll they'll have different equipment in there as far as like drop shields or invisibility or over shields. Uh, but I don't know that I would want those because they tend to really kind of sway uh, a battle. You know, someone can can really take advantage of a, of a good overshield timing uh, to be able to get a kill, get an upgrade, get an overshield, and then really start to dominate a lot of the match. But given that this is going to be free for all, I'm curious to find out like how are the spawns going to work as far as like where you respawn? Will it will it pop you up in a in a non-populated area, uh, or or will you have to deal with the fact that you might be dropping in right where there's actually a big team battle going on? Uh, there's also no mention of vehicles in this as well too so i'm kind of curious how that's going to work out uh if if vehicles would uh, be too much of a power grab 
um, for a free-for-all or how that would work if maybe they dropped in uh, a couple of ghosts here and there. So it's really interesting to kind of think about, you know, like what are some of the pitfalls with having a battle royale that you you really have to go in with uh, a team to be able to take advantage of. You have to help each other scavenge. You have to third party other team battles to try and mop up uh, the, the kills to get um, some more loot. And you have to make it within the the eventually closing time frame. And a lot of people tend to play a lot of their kills uh, in the in the actual um, out of bounds area. Uh, they usually eat their health in, in exchange for trying to pick off teams who are uh, not as well scavenged, since we're going to be using that term, uh, and and tend to have some of the more uh, easy things to pick up, like health rebuffs or ammo, uh, new armor, things like that. Something that they might have been able to find on the way, but it wasn't enough to get them uh, a kill so they they're just basically carrying loot for the the better team and they'll go out into the field or into the out of bounds area to try and pick that fight off uh, because it's it's having like a an ai pressure on the team that's trying to make it to the actual zone um, whereas this doesn't seem like you're going to have to worry about it it just seems you're going to have 12 people on a map they're all going to kill each other and once people learn where the spawn points are I kind of wonder if some people are going to hold back and try and hope for some spawn kills uh, to be able to test and see how this plays out. Needless to say, there's been a lot of sentiment within the Halo community that Halo is a dead game, that the content that they've been waiting for is coming too late, and this won't be enough to really revitalize the multiplayer aspect of it. There's still a very dedicated player base to Halo Infinite, a lot of folks that still really love that gameplay loop and will play it regardless. Uh, But that paired with um, some of the changes that came to MCC, I'm hoping that there's going to be a bit of resurgence with Halo Infinite because I, I really enjoyed my time with it, even if I'm not the best, uh, I still like kind of jumping in, shooting a bunch of people, and then getting out once I get a little too much adrenaline in my system. Speaking of Battle Royales, let's dive into our next story, which is actually Call of Duty Warzone Operation Monarch. This is something I talked about, I believe, last episode, where we had gotten a little bit of teasers about the potential uh, adding of uh, Godzilla to Warzone. Um, For those not familiar, Warzone is the Battle Royale free-to-play version of Call of Duty uh, that if you don't have at least 300 gigabytes available on your hard drive, uh, then you're going to have a hard time trying to fit this thing in to your console. Uh, I do not play Warzone um, really at all. In fact, I have never really been a big fan of it. I love going out and scavenging. I'm terrible when it comes to actual shooting uh, because I'm just not one to stick with it and practice and get better at it. I'm sure if I did, if I put my time in, uh, much like with Destiny, I'd get a lot better at it um, and have fun with it. But I just, I I don't because I play too many other games as a service at the moment. And uh, I just don't feel as rewarded with uh, Warzone as I as i would like it to be but they put out a trailer we finally got confirmation and not only is it godzilla but it's actually king kong versus godzilla uh on on in this this trailer and my god it it looks like they went full-on movie uh cinematography for this cinematic they they really put everything they could into this it is uh very much the to the toho godzilla that is current day uh being used in a lot of the films as far as the design as well as king kong uh, from universal studios they are they're doing justice to these characters and it look they look amazing uh the trailer that we got is effectively king kong grabbing a, a plane out of the sky 
smashing it into a mountain, seeing that Godzilla is swimming in from the actual ocean into the beach, and then King Kong runs down to the beach line, jumps off of the island, and goes to punch uh, Godzilla right in the face, right as Godzilla is about to hit King Kong with a lightning blast. Um, the size is amazing, and the thing that excites me about this is the same thing that excited me about the movie Cloverfield, where you're in the middle end of, of this giant disaster film uh, but it's at, it's shot from ground level with shaky cam and everything but uh, playing on I, I believe the island's caldera uh, playing on this island in during world war ii during the height of the the fear of godzilla and, and you know them using like nuclear warfare as a way to talk about how it it, uh, it, it basically creates monsters um and in kind of building off of, of you know some of the issues that were going on with world war ii and the atomic bomb and stuff but uh bringing that to warzone i would love to jump into a match of warzone and be able to have king kong versus godzilla fighting all the way on the map just somewhere on the map constantly fighting and having that fight shift around while i'm trying to run around and get weapons and deal with people and kills and stuff like that and be able to figure out like you know what is going to happen here they've been doing a lot of uh kind of teases about little radios that are in and around uh the the trailers like they're they're be able to pick up the radio signals of of them hearing godzilla's roar and stuff uh and, and i'm very curious if that plays a part of uh this event like if you're able to find the specific radio signal then you can radio uh out this or you can broadcast out this signal that calls in uh godzilla and then as a result of that king kong comes out of nowhere uh so this is coming with season three of call of duty vanguard um season three technically begins on april 27th which is just next month but the 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 monarch operation monarch will not actually begin until may 11th so two weeks after the first season kicks off uh, i'm sure we're probably going to start getting some actual like news drops about what's going to happen what to expect things like that uh but i'm, I'm going to be 100 percent honest i'm going to install warzone just to try out this uh this operation monarch event because i want to see what it is if it is actually having like two uh goliath monsters fighting on a battle royale map uh all off some of the things that have happened in fortnite um but it's taken seriously and taken with uh the realism that comes with call of duty games i totally want to see that because i've i've never i've never seen anything like that in a game that i can think of if if i ha if there is something like that it won't look nearly as good as anything that's going to be in the call of duty warzone game uh so i'm i'm ready for this i'm ready to see this fight and i'm ready to see it from the ground level uh, as a human uh watching it happen all in there and almost to the point where i think this would be an amazing vr game like if someone could come up with a way to watch this and have it be like a vr game like oh man you could make some money off of that very easily Speaking of making money, let's talk about Sonic Origins. Uh, Sega has realized they have properties they can make money off of in an effort to continue their, their uh, mega games, their super games. Uh, they are going to be releasing uh, a new combination of Sonic 1 through 3, Sonic and & Knuckles, and Sonic CD 
uh, as a as a combined remastered collection called Sonic Origins that's coming out on June 23rd. Uh, this is the remastered classic Sonic collection. Let's go to the article from Steve Watts over at GameSpot. Sega has officially taken the wraps off Sonic Origins, a remastered compilation of four early Sonic games or five, depending on how you count. The compilation will arrive on Sonic's birthday, June 23rd, for PC, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox One, and the Xbox Series systems, as well as Nintendo Switch. Sonic Origins compiles Sonic the Hedgehog, Sonic 2, Sonic 3, and Knuckles, and Sonic CD. Each game has been remastered and you'll be able to play in classic or anniversary modes. Classic will be the Sonic games in the original aspect ratio with the same difficulty you may remember, while anniversary converts to full screen mode and offers infinite lives. You'll also be able to unlock medallions by completing special missions which can be used to unlock vault content and play special stages. You can pre-order Sonic Origins starting today for $40. Digital pre-orders will get a bonus 100 medallions and instant unlock of mirror mode and the letter uh, box mega drive pattern should you prefer you can purchase the digital deluxe edition for 45 dollars which adds difficulty missions letterbox chapters and island camera options in the menu character animation in the music playback section and exclusive mega drive tracks you can also purchase the mega drive exclusive tracks separately for four dollars this is one of two Sonic games we know in development, uh, the other being an open-world Sonic game that was teased alongside Sonic Origins last year that was given a 2022 release window at this time. This is coming hot off the heels of Sonic the Hedgehog 2 from the, the theaters. Uh, everyone really loves the Sonic movies. I went out and got to see it with my wife, um, what was it, last weekend? Yeah, last weekend, because I went and stayed up all night. Uh, we went out last Friday. I watched it. I loved the movie. I thought they did a great job. There were so many little uh, little things that they, little Easter eggs that they had from the from the actual games that worked out well. I think Idris Elba as uh, as as Knuckles was great. Um, Sonic did a really good job. Uh, they just they really really did an amazing job with that film. Um, I don't know if they'll if they'll be able to do a Sonic three. Uh, if they do, I don't know that they'll be able to get Jim Carrey to join back up. He he said he's considering retirement. He doesn't really do sequels, so it's hard to know whether or not a Sonic three would have a Robotnik in it. Um, but this is definitely I think Sonic two is the biggest. Uh, Jim Carrey opening for a film in the history of Jim Carrey films like this is his biggest film at at box office records which is insane to think about given just like Ace Ventura 2 uh, so given that he doesn't do sequels I can understand why that might, might be a little bit easier to, to understand but uh, this is like one of the biggest games he's ever or one of the biggest movies he's ever done um, and, he, and he nails it just absolutely perfectly too so uh, I'm very happy to see this. And again, thanks to Steve Watts uh, over at GameSpot for writing up this article. Um, Sega is also planning to maybe develop uh, some remakes or some reboots for two of their other franchises, Crazy Taxi and Jet Set Radio. Uh, both of these games were games I loved from the Dreamcast. Uh, I had a Dreamcast for a while when I was working at GameStop. Uh, I, I got a used copy of the NFL Black Dreamcast that I had for a while. Uh, love that console, man. That console was fantastic. Uh, really ahead of its time. 
first 128-bit console um, to really hit the market of the big three. And uh, man, just like Soul Reaver, uh, you had um, uh, Crazy Taxi was always in there. Uh, Jet Set Radio was always in there. Choo Choo Rocket was always in there. I never really got into Space Channel 5. Um, Resident Evil Code Veronica looked amazing. Holy cow, that game looked so good. Uh, there were so many good games for that, that system, and it died uh and and unfortunately was the the death now for console manufacturing for sega in general but as we go to this article uh thanks to michael mcwerter mcwerter over on uh, uh polygon uh they wrote up the article uh sega is reportedly developing big budget reboots for its crazy taxi and jet set radio franchises according to bloomberg as the company seeks to hit the uh, seeks to create a global hit the projects are reportedly components of Sega's so-called Super Game Initiative, a plan that uh, parent company Sega, Sammy, unveiled in 2021. Uh, Sega's Super Game Initiative is the company's strategy to develop new and innovative titles with a focus on global reach, online interactivity, community building, and IP utilization, Sega said in November, when it announced a strategic partnership with Microsoft to use its Azure cloud platform. In May 2021, Sega said it planned to exploit its suite of dormant IPs for remakes, remasters, and reboots, naming games like Crazy Taxi and Jet Set Radio as candidates for revitalization. Other potential games on the list of dormant franchises included Space Channel 5, Res, uh, Panzer Dragoon, Knights, Shinobi, Virtual Fighter, and Altered Beast. All games I actually really love, uh, except for Space Channel 5. I'll be honest, I didn't really play that much. Res, I did love. I really love uh, Res. I I like Panzer Dra Dragoon. Going back to Panzer Dragoon Orta just doesn't feel quite the same. Knights was awesome. Shinobi was awesome. Virtual Fighter, I thought it was really cool, but I'm terrible at fighters. And Altered Beast is just like, it's a classic, man. Um, so Bloomberg reports that Crazy Taxi and Jetset Radio were up first. A, crazy a new Crazy Taxi is already a year into development with plans to release uh, in the next two or three years. I will say, if they plan on doing this, uh, I would love to understand if they plan on rebooting it as like a brand new game with new graphics and stuff like that if they do i hope they have nods to the original music because uh, uh to, to have kind of the original music from the offspring it's kind of a no-brainer it's a big win it's a good nostalgia trip they'll definitely be able to uh, capitalize on that if they go with a crazy crazy taxi remake Jet Set Radio has some of the best music I've ever listened to. It's it's a really fun game, and given the 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 how much graphics have improved, there's actually been a couple clones of Jet Set Radio games in most recent the past, as far as like any games that are that are basically doing what Jet Set Radio is. Uh, I hope that they take some of the things that that were great about Jet Set Radio and bring those forward as they look to reboot these. Uh, it'll be interesting to understand like where they go with it. And I hope that they aren't trying to do anything that's too kind of cash grabby and they actually put a little reverence into these, these IPs because that's kind of the point of rebooting these is you're trying to play into the nostalgia and not just trying to play off of uh, the cash grab that comes from them. Eris, get your rock off my map.
Next up, let's talk about Destiny 2, a game I spend probably too much time in, uh, doing a bunch of different stuff that really, honestly, is just reasons for me to go shoot things because I love the gameplay in Destiny 2. Uh, but Bungie confirms Destiny 2 contains Easter egg teasing its next game thanks to an article from Logan Plant over at IGN. If you're excited for whatever Bungie is working on next, there's a hint to the, next, to the studio's next project hidden somewhere within Destiny 2. When former Destiny 2 director Christopher Barrett uh, was asking on Twitter if there was a hint to Bungie's new IP somewhere in their massive first-person shooter, Barrett simply responded yes. Uh, Barrett followed up his short response with another one-word tweet saying, maybe, alongside a smiley face that, like, uh, that looks like the moon. This led to some Destiny fans to believe the hint is hidden somewhere on Earth's moon uh, from Destiny 2's Shadow Keep expansion. Even with that hint, uh, the Destiny community hasn't found the Easter egg just yet, so if you're a Destiny fan, it might be time to start searching the moon. Barrett is currently the director for an unannounced Bungie game after leaving Destiny 2's director's chair in 2018. Joe Blackburn is the current director on Destiny 2. This isn't the first time Bungie has hidden an Easter, insta, uh, Easter egg. Wow, Easter egg. I don't know why I'm jumping ahead there. Easter egg in for its next project in a game. Halo 3 OD released in 2009 included a poster saying destiny awaits the teaser has since been removed uh, in the mcc version very little is known about Bungie's new IP. According to the 2020 job listing, Bungie is working on a com comedic game that will feature whimsical characters, and the game will apparently include a wide variety of pursuit and loot systems and fundamental RPG systems, so we may be able to expect some sim or some mechanics similar to Destiny. Another job posting from late or from last year suggests the project is a character-focused multiplayer game. We don't know when the game is coming, but back in 2019, Bungie announced plans to release at least one non-Destiny game by 2025. I have not seen anything weird on the moon. I don't really venture out to the moon too often because I really don't like the hive a whole lot. Uh, but if any of you have seen anything interesting uh, that looks whimsical, I will say the most whimsical thing that I've seen is actually from the 30th anniversary game uh, or, or pack that they added where they actually have the celestial horse, uh, which is a space horse that is with Zer as they go through a, a, a weird kind of uh, space show game or game show. Uh, where you're basically killing a bunch of mobs, spinning a wheel, and the, the wheel determines who you have to kill, and then you have to go kill them. Um, it has a whole bunch of bungee loot that is inspired from Halo uh, that they can't really call Halo because they don't own the IP for that, but it definitely is Halo content uh, in Destiny 2. I like that they're doing this. It's never been something that I ever knew about before, uh, but I'm definitely open to seeing like what their next game is. Um, although I do think that they tend to have a really hard time letting go of, of things that they've done in the past uh, being the things that they put into the future content. If you don't believe me, look at the um, Look at the space monkeys that are in uh, Destiny 2 compared to the grunts, or not the grunts, whatever the, the 
man, I'm struggling with words. It's time to, to put a pause on this and come back to this podcast later. But uh, if you look at some of the, uh, the, the different characters from Bungie and what they helped create there, you can definitely find Destiny versions of them. Uh, with their red war campaign and, and the different guys that you have to deal with the brutes and and uh, and the space monkeys in destiny 2 that i'm blanking on the name as we're getting into some of the last bits of the news this week let's talk about how pc game pass is now launching in five new countries in southeast asia this comes from jeremy hinton over at uh, xbox asia business lead on the xbox wire as part of our mission to bring the joy and community of gaming to everyone on the planet we're excited to announce pc game pass is now available in indonesia malaysia philippines thailand and vietnam all pc players can get started for three months for one dollar usd PC Game Pass includes a library of over 100 high-quality PC games, including new Xbox Game Studio releases on day one, iconic Bethesda games, and EA Play membership. Uh, this is a really awesome thing, and the fact that they're giving them the introductory of uh, three months for a dollar is a great way for them to try out the service, see if they like it. It's how I got into Paramount Plus. Uh, I will not be keeping Paramount Plus. I guarantee you that after uh, after after going through their app, their app is absolutely terrible. So I will come back to it when they have more content. But I will say that they do have a really, really huge library of movies on there, like way more movies than I was actually anticipating. Like everything Paramount has done is on that app. Uh, the app just is, is absolutely horrendous. Worse than the Xbox app on PC. So I'm glad that Xbox PC uh, is now coming to uh, different regions. They need to be doing this for the entire world. Giving players access to all of these great games is, is essential to really kind of uh, giving them the value that they want out of Game Pass, getting more subscribers to help support the service. Uh, it's also going to help keep the cost of Game Pass down. The more revenue they get in, the more subscribers that they have, the more they can justify the investment into this service and the better deals we can get in the future. So I, I'm very happy about this. Plus other people are going to be able to experience a lot of great games for a cheap cost. There is some big news with uh, the latest adventure in Sea of Thieves called the Shrouded Deep. I got to do it last night, which is why this episode is coming out a little bit later than anticipated. But it revolves around Merrick uh, Bell and the Shrouded Ghost. Um, it, it's really nice. It harkens back to the original adventure or the original uh, expansion event. I think the event, uh, the Hungering Deep that came out forever ago, except this one is the Shrouded Deep. Uh, I'm very happy that they have found a way to try and recreate a little bit of what it was like to do the Hungering Deep event uh, where you had to sail around the, eye, the the world to kind of pick up a couple different journals and read through those. Uh, and then eventually you had to go meet Merrick on Sharkbait Cove. And then you had to carry a tune between two ships over to a spot that was just off the coast of Thieves Island uh, or Thieves Haven, not Island, uh, Thieves Haven, and then actually summon the Hungering One, which was a very tough fight. Um, and in fact, Beardageddon was uh, someone who, who managed to do it um, at the request of uh, Deadly Daily uh, without any clothes and with a chicken aboard on ship alone on a sloop. 
and he managed to do it. Uh, the interesting thing um, with this is that, that you still have to have uh, five players and you run around and you kill a bunch of sharks. And then after you kill a bunch of those sharks, you bring their souls back to uh, this one spot. You summon the shrouded one and then you you get pretty much uh, attacked by the shrouded ghost and a bunch of other stuff. It's a really it's a really great fight. I had a lot of fun doing it. There was some weirdness that happened in the first time that we actually uh, achieved it. But once you achieve it, you actually get a new figurehead that's actually uh, Merrick's wife, is Sarek, uh, as a figurehead. Plus, there's the uh, sh uh, Summoner of Myths uh, title that you get once you complete all of the different little deeds that are, are attached to this adventure. And they're also bringing in, finally, the increase from Pirate Legend uh, rank 20 to 30 and new Pirate Legend voyages. I have yet to go on those. I will be working on those throughout the weekend next week as I talk about them more uh, on next week's episode of Keelhauled Podcast, which is the Sea of Thieves dedicated show that I do if you don't, if you're not familiar. Uh, but I've really been enjoying the the content so far. It's something we've been waiting for for a while, and I'm looking forward to actually getting a chance to really kind of sink my teeth into it, not to use too much of a shark pun, and uh, dive in to find out like, how is this going to play out? Is it going to be uh, worth the time? Um, is it going to be better than doing regular Athena missions or regular Thieves Haven runs, if you're familiar with those? Uh, but overall, Rare has done a great job of cultivating a sense of story uh, mixed in with content very similar to what I what I enjoy about Destiny, uh, coming in every week to get a new bit of story, coming in every uh, season to get a, a new bit of content, um, and and being able to find that that regularity that should be part of a game as a service, especially given that. With Sea of Thieves, it is still one of the only games that I've seen that is a, a game as a service that is a paid game. You still have to buy Sea of Thieves. Uh, it's available on Game Pass, um, but for, for the most part, uh, it's it's something that... Oh, this is weird. Sea of Thieves is available free for all players with... Oh, Game Pass. Okay, never mind. Sorry. I was reading the article and it was like free for all players. And I'm like, no, it still costs money because they just got a sale. And it was in the charts uh, for the top five games sold on Steam. So no, it is a paid game, but there are no there's no cost associated with any of the content that they put into the game that revolves around uh, changing the actual game itself. They do have a an emporium which is microtransactions they do have season passes which give you uh, uh additional cosmetics to their their seasonal renown system but for the most part if you want to play sea of thieves and not drop anything into it outside of the initial cost of the game you can do so and actually get a lot of content for that uh, you'll get all the content that was in the game prior to that date um, except for the the fact that a lot of that stuff was kind of stuff that was added as time limited events so you've missed out on some past events and stuff like that but that's pretty par for the course for any games as a service they usually kind of move past content and kind of iterate as they go forward but there's still a lot of content in that game that you can do that was there from day one uh back when they said that there was nothing to do um and i and i still really just i love this game i love this world it's such a beautiful game so if you haven't had an opportunity to dive in uh, now's a great time to jump in play around, see if you have any fun with these adventures, check out the Renown system, see if there's any cosmetics that you like. And of course, it's something that's gonna be running from April 21st until May 12th. So you've got a couple weeks to actually work on this. And you can get into the Pirate Legend ca uh, Tavern, uh, be able to pick up the new voyage and try out something that's really unique to the game.
Let's talk about one other game that is a game as a service that had a bit of a rocky start similar to Sea of Thieves, but unlike Sea of Thieves, is actually charging for their additional content. Uh, Outriders World Slayer was announced this week, and it is a, a new version of the game. It still has all of the uh, content that had the pre that was prior to this, uh, but they are actually selling this as a, a box copy that you can get for all of the content that's including World Slayer, their newest expansion, for $60. Uh, if you have Outriders uh, right now as a result of uh, the New Horizon update that came out a bit ago through Game Pass, you can upgrade that version uh, through Game Pass. Um, if you pre-order it right now, you can actually get it for thirty-six dollars, uh, or you can get Game Pass. Well, actually, you can you can save four dollars if you get it with Game Pass. Um, the the interesting thing about this is that there's a lot that's getting done uh, to Outriders. They're bringing in a lot of content with this, so I can understand the the desire to charge for that. It just feels weird coming from a Sea of Thieves perspective, where all of the content is added for free so let's take a look at the uh let's take a look at the xbox wire uh, reveal for outriders world slayer this is uh written up thanks to uh toby palm the community lead for outriders um who if you guys don't know xbox wire is actually a great way for uh teams to actually submit kind of their own blog post and put it up on xbox uh, or news.xbox.com so that people can find news about the different games that are available for Xbox. Uh, I like to pull from there because it comes generally from the, the actual Microsoft team or the studio that is actually doing it. So let's read into this a little bit. Uh, they wrote in, firstly, the basics. Outriders World Slayer introduces a brand new campaign for you to play through. If you're a hardened Outriders veteran, you'll recall the original endgame saw uh, you running through multiple expeditions to seize control of drop pods. The landing of these drop pods was triggered by story events in the original campaign, and each drop pod strengthened humanity's foothold on the planet Enoch. However, Enoch was also host to a strange entity called the Anomaly. The Anomaly can be considered the main threat of the original game, as it continually evolved all living matter on the planet to counter the threat posed by humanity and the Outriders. Your expeditions may have made humanity stronger, but in doing so, the Anomaly too evolved to deal with you. At the start of the Outriders World Slayer campaign, the anomaly has begun to inflict blizzards, frost storms, and flash freezes onto the planet, which puts almost everything on the planet in grave danger. To find a solution, the Outriders will need to travel to the furthest reaches of Enoch, while also dealing with a powerful new altered called uh, Ereshkiel which I'm butchering right now. The quest to save humanity from Anomaly's client catastrophe will force your paths to cross with uh, er Ereshkiel's Kigils. I have no idea how that... I, I watched the video about this too, and I can't remember what, what they said it was. Multiple times as she becomes the main antagonist of Outrider's World Slayer. While threat posed by the anomaly has in the past allowed us to deliver a great story with a few twists and turns, we do know that players like to have a visible main antagonist to challenge them, so we're quite excited to be able to introduce her, standing alongside her to face the player in her own faction of humans of on Enoch. Suffice to say, the road ahead won't be easy. However, there is also world where however, this is also where Outriders uh, World Slayers newly introduced systems will really shine. 
This content has been de developed with a long-term progression in mind, and we believe that the newly introduced systems will deliver on that promise. So they're in they're introducing a PAX class system, which is a separate class tree from the one that's already available. It, it has its own uh, 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 class tree, which is, is roughly split into two intertwining branches, similar to the original ones. Uh, and unlocking points to invest into the PAX class tree requires you to progress through the world slayers main campaign and beyond uh that's essentially you kind of unlock as you kind of move throughout they're also introducing uh, a new ascension system with with uh, max uh, characters remaining uh, 30 levels in words world slayer ascension will now add an additional 200 layer or levels on top of that and each time you level up you'll earn a point that can be spent into the ascension system in one of four categories uh, each of which have five options uh, you could choose for example to choose to max out your cooldown reduction using the ascension system or alternatively, you could boost your firepower while at the same time increasing your resistance. The decision is yours and no choice is permanent thanks to the ever-present option to respec at any time. And the idea behind the Ascension is to make every play session kind of worthwhile. So you're you're constantly getting stronger and stronger. Very similar to what you can find in uh, like Rifts for Diablo 3. Uh, finally, they are newly introducing uh, an Apocalypse system. Um, as a reminder, the difficulty in Outrider is set using tier systems which allows each player to fine-tune the overall game to their performance or preference, excuse me, not performance. Uh, higher tiers mean higher difficulty, but also improved rewards and the ability to equip higher level gear. World Slayer introduces up to 40 Apocalypse tiers, which may well pose some of the greatest challenges players will need to surmount in World Slayer. Uh, that's a fancy way of saying they got to get good. Uh, at tier 40, your max equipment level will be uh, 75, which is the new level cap uh, 25 higher than the original Outriders. So I'm glad that they're doing this. I think that they've definitely set the stage for what is going to be a good expansion. Uh, they're adding frost and stuff. So if you're if you're familiar with uh, Beyond Light for Destiny 2, uh, expect stuff like that. Uh, Outriders continues to try and do the thing that it is saying it's not doing, which is being a game as a service. Uh, they are supporting the game beyond the original launch by adding new content, adding additional uh, gear levels, and adding new difficulty levels, uh, while also pushing the story forward and they're not charging seasons for this which is interesting you know everything comes with it but when everything comes with it you're going to have to pay for that expansion this being the first it sets the precedent for the expansions in the future to be roughly around $40 uh, to pick up if you already own Outriders uh, in the past um, I still am okay and not okay with the whole Game Pass situation. Uh, being able to digitally update this with uh, with the ability to, to essentially have the game on Game Pass and you're just purchasing the expansions is it's touch and go because we know that games will leave Game Pass. This is not a Microsoft owned game. This is a Square Enix published game. So. We don't know how long it's going to be on Game Pass, but the fact that they're willing to uh, support the digital upgrade through Game Pass uh, leads me to believe that this is going to be on the service for at least another year. Uh, it seems like they may have renewed their their uh, their previous uh, contract for it because I do believe it came out. I don't believe it was last year. I think it was the year before that because uh, uh, it was two years ago. I think it came out when there was a drought um, or no, no, actually, maybe it was last year because I think it came 
came out last year around uh, the same time that MLB The Show was coming on Game Pass. And I, and I think last year was the first year that MLB came to the Game Pass as well, too. So uh, pretty cool to see that they're doing this. Um, the antagonist, she looks like Evanescence lead. She looks like she's just kind of uh, wearing a, a skirt with... Um, uh, or like a, a kind of an asymmetrical dress uh, with a tight top and red hair and she's all pale. So yeah, she basically looks like uh, some sort of a glam rock model. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it is what it is. There's a lot of skulls. There's a lot of death. There's a lot of uh, a heavy metal aspect to Outriders. I should love this game a lot more. I really don't like the gameplay. The gunplay just doesn't feel strong. It feels very loose. Uh, and, and the, the abilities seem to really kind of uh, mess around with a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm, I might drop into this, but I don't think I want to spend the money on the update. Um, it, it doesn't, I don't have enough time to be able to jump into another game like this to justify the cost. Uh, Destiny's one thing, WoW's another. Sea of Thieves is nice because I don't have to invest in anything outside of when I want new cosmetics. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this is received. If people say it's good, then people might jump back into it, but I haven't heard a lot of people really sticking with this as a game that is consistently drawing the attention of the general gaming verse, especially on Twitter. Not a whole lot of people really dive into this. The last thing that I wanted to bring up was actually an article that uh, popped up or a little bit of news that came up today. It doesn't actually pertain to, uh, to, to Xbox, but it does impact people who are fans of Nintendo. Uh, and that actually revolves around a release date for Splatoon 3. Uh, Splatoon 2 was a game that I really loved. I, I enjoyed the heck out of uh, Splatoon 2 when it came out. It came out at a perfect time when uh, I was looking to play with a shooter for uh, the, the Switch when the Switch was a brand new system, which was five years ago. Five years later, they now have a release date. Uh, Splatoon 3 is coming to uh, to, to Switches in uh, September 9th or 9-9, uh, 2022. Um, the game looks great. The game looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. It looks like they've learned a lot from what people enjoy about Splatoon 2. They're adding a lot more to the Salmon Run system, which I always enjoyed, which is their uh, kind of horde mode, PvE mode. Um, I've always enjoyed Turf War. Turf War has always been fun, but uh, generally it just kind of depends on whatever the meta is at the time. There is a meta. It's weird that it's like Splatoon, a game about like painting ink everywhere, uh, has a meta, but it's it really does. There are there are definitely loadouts. There are definitely weapons that get stronger over time. Anyone that is just amazing when it comes to uh, using a sniper is is just ridiculous. I've always run with dualies. Uh, for some reason, I just love the the ability to kind of have that rapid fire hit. Uh, and and a lot of people have a lot of different weapons that they use. I know a lot of people that really love rollers rollers seem to still be uh really really popular but splatoon is one of the most unique games where it is uh basically nintendo's first person shooter but it's not even a first person shooter it's a third person shooter but it is their competitive shooter um they don't really have these that much you know they don't really you know push too many uh competitive games that aren't mario focused i think even smash brothers i'd say is still kind of a mario game uh but this is pretty amazing they, they've got some really cool things even to the point where uh you can run around with a paintbrush and uh use a a weird weird kind of zip line system where you can zip line to the walls and traverse uh a, an arena very quickly and get behind opponents uh they've also got 
they've also got a special which is basically you in uh one of those one of the hamster ball things from overwatch i can't even think of what it is but it's like a, basically like a, a four-legged robot that can roll up into a ball um and shoot a bunch of ink they're they're pulling from some of the best shooters out there and i'm and i'm fine with that you know they've got some of the stuff that i see from overwatch with uh widowmaker being able to zip line to different places um with uh a, i can never remember the name of the stupid hamster man i i don't know why but the hamster that's in the little ball that rolls around a wrecking ball i think is what his name is uh, but i know he's got a name i just can't remember what it is but anyway uh, i loved running with duelies and sloshers it was my favorite there's a whole bunch of other weapons and stuff in splatoon 3 i'm glad that this one's coming out because uh with zelda getting delayed to 2023 it kind of makes you wonder like what's going to be the uh big title for nintendo this year um it, it's it, there's a lot that's coming out and a lot of people are going to really enjoy it. i think i might actually enjoy some games this year uh but i'm i'm generally just i'm, I'm waiting for that next zelda that's the thing i want that's the thing i'm excited about and uh it can't come soon enough so one thing i will say uh that i'm wrong about actually pertains to nintendo switch online plus the expansion pack uh it fine it, it turns out that splatoon 2's octo expansion dlc that was available previously is uh, now turned up on the expansion pack as well uh the expansion pack is i believe 50 dollars a year for single uh for single membership um plus the 20 bucks for the uh standard actual membership um i if they keep doing this if they keep adding the expansions for games onto the expansion pack and i don't have to buy those uh then i may be able to justify jumping into this um having uh nintendo and super nintendo on the um original nintendo switch online membership is nice having genesis games and on there is for the expansion pack isn't really interesting uh the n64 games are really where it's at i'm really looking forward to them adding more n64 games but i will wait until that library is nice and plump before I decide to jump in there uh, when I have some time to be able to jump back into some of those old N64 games. Uh, having the expansions added to this though is interesting. I genuinely did not think that was going to be the case. I thought it was more a play on words, uh, but it turns out that they're actually going to be um, adding this for all the games that they support through their, their first party lineup. Uh, we just have to wait and see how that's going to be going. Uh, also, they're actually adding three new classic games to the Sega Genesis library, uh, Space Harrier 2, Shining Force 2, and Sonic the Hedgehog Spinball, uh, three games that I, as far as I know, are actually pretty good games. Um, so those are now available through the uh, Nintendo Switch Online service as well. We're already getting pretty long here, so I want to tell you about some of the things that um, I wanted to, to kind of point out and see what's going on. There's a huge bunch of games on sale right now through Xbox, including Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Battlefield 2042, don't bother, Call of Duty Vanguard, eh, Cyberpunk 2077, which is not the cheapest it's been, Devil May Cry, Diablo Prime Collection, uh, Primeval Collection, Disco Elysium, the final cut for 23 bucks, pick that up, Far Cry 6 for 48, hold off on that, Forza Horizon 5, it's on Game Pass, uh, Game P game beasts is on game pass for 10 or is on game be uh blah gang beasts is on game pass already but that's available for ten dollars that's 50 percent off godfall ultimate edition is 30 i don't know about that uh grand theft auto the trilogy definitive edition is down to 40 dollars. i've heard that the patches have helped out a lot with that uh and then they've got a bunch of other ones like hot wheels unleashed for 25 that's half off uh immortals phoenix risings for 15 that's a good deal it takes two for 16 that's a 
a good deal. Microsoft Flight Simulator for 45, that's a good deal. Uh, let's see, Minecraft Dungeons for 17, that's a, it's not that great of a deal. Uh, you've also got Red Dead Redemption 2 for 25 bucks, that's a good deal. And then you've got Skyrim uh, Anniversary Edition and some Resident Evil games, Watch Dogs, The Witcher 3 for eight bucks. The Witcher 3 for eight bucks is gonna be good. That's gonna have its next gen version coming out in the future. So buy it cheap before they release that and then kick it back up to uh, 50 bucks like they did with uh, Cyberpunk when Cyberpunk Next Generation or 60 bucks when the uh, cyberpunk next gen versions came out also just let you know too if you were interested in that teenage mutant ninja turtles cowabunga game uh the one that has the whole collection of all the the old uh teenage mutant ninja turtle game the pre-order for that is uh available but the collector's edition the limited edition collector's edition is available for 150 bucks now there's a lot that's in here i i genuinely can't even understand like what all is in here but let's let's actually kind of uh talk about what's included the physical copy of the game with original box design by kevin eastman which is just freaking cool a cloth poster featuring kevin eastman's adaptation of teenage mutant ninja turtles turtles in time it is a 16 by 24 inch uh sized poster that's actually pretty nice a multi-layer acrylic diorama of leonardo donatello Raphael, and michelangelo uh, an enamel pin set with five classic designs, the Technodrome, Turtle Blimp, Party Wagon, Shredder, and Krang, which I, I think is hilarious. I love those from the uh, the cartoon in the comics. A set of 12 translucent comic-style character trading cards based on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles tournament fighters and a full-color art book with 180 pages featuring a chapter dedicated to each of the 13 games in compilation. This is a 5.5-inch by 8-inch sized book. Um I think this is really cool. Uh, I, I probably won't be picking this up just because I, I'm looking at these and I'm thinking like, where am I going to do anything with these? Uh, but I do love the fact that it's it's just, it's a thing that's happening. We're going to be getting all of the turtle games. I can finally go back and see if I can actually beat the original NES turtle games because I was, I was so bad at those. I really want to see if those actually work out. Uh, if you're not familiar the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Cowabunga Collection assembles 13 classic TMNT games by Konami in one incredible package. This collection provides a unique opportunity for gamers to experience these uh, immensely popular and very influential games on modern consoles and includes a fantastic set of new quality of life features. The games are based on the characters and themes based on the 80s child children's cartoon and comic book series Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The game often takes place in fictionalized New York City in the sewers inside futuristic enemy bases and across time itself if you just want the base collection you can always pick that up for 40 dollars as well too so uh, the limited edition is available up for pre-order on most of the sites um, wario was posting about that in a while and if you want the digital deluxe version of sonic origins that's up as well that one's only 36 dollars to get uh, those four games um, there and it feels like ps5s are available a lot more frequently lately uh, we got some news that potentially that the Xbox Series X is outselling the Xbox 360 given the time frame, uh, but the numbers of that are a little squidgy because we don't have access to direct numbers from uh, Microsoft, plus the numbers that were reported are a little bit lower than what uh, other people have been able to source on the internet. So kind of interesting to see some of that. Um, I'm glad that these consoles are becoming a little more available as more and more people are able to get their hands on them when they can. The demand is going to go down and we're going to be able to uh, actually see if we can get these consoles out in everyone's hands uh, and in stores hopefully within the next year.
That's going to do it for this episode of the Xbox wrap up podcast. There was a lot of news and a lot of talking about stuff that I wanted to cover uh, some big reveals this week that really kind of uh, pushed me into the the I'm OK with this week uh, mood. So I'm going to leave this here. Uh, we're going to be diving into next week's episode. And if you're wondering why this episode came out a little bit late, I've been trying to be better about not staying up till two to three in the morning, trying to pump out one episode when I can try to finish it up during the day uh, on Friday and maybe try and pick up some of the news that dr drops on Friday. Cause sometimes they do that. We did have that happen last week. Uh, this week, it turned out to be Splatoon three, which I wanted to let people know about in case they happen to have a Nintendo switch next to their Xbox. Box. So that's going to do it for this Xbox wrap up uh, podcast. Thank you all so much uh, for those that are, are listening, for those that are, are uh, keeping up to date with the news uh, via this podcast. It means a lot to me and I just I really appreciate it. It's a hobby right now. Um, we'll see how it goes in the future. But for the time being, thank you all so much for listening to the Xbox wrap up. <laughs>